Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Employment Law Podcast brought to you by the lawyers at EI Legal. My name is Simon Obie. I'm the principal lawyer at EI Legal. I'm, I'm joined today by two of my colleagues uh, here at EI Legal, Ahana Lakia and Antonia Randalls. Um, this is a weekly podcast we do on all matters relating to employment law. It's aimed at uh, HR professionals, in-house counsel and anyone with an interest in this area. Um, today we're going to talk about unfair dismissals and we'll look at you know, the, the general uh, rules around unfair dismissal as well as some uh, recent cases which have um, provided some kind of useful insights and, and clarity on the law in that area. Um, so yeah, let's just uh, jump straight into it. I should say this is the first time we're recording the podcast um, from three different locations around Sydney. Um, so do bear with us if there are any kind of technical hiccups, but um, yeah, I'm sure we'll uh, I'm sure we'll go just fine. So yeah, look, I'll, I'll hand over to uh, Antonia to start things off um, um, to talk about. Uh, the law of unfair dismissal and, and, and who, it, who it protects. Thank you, Simon. So today when I was preparing for the episode, I thought that I would, I would look into, I guess, the, the overall overarching purpose of the unfair dismissal regime included in the Fair Work Act. And something that I found, um, I think Simon and Ahana, you were already aware of this, but something that I came across today is section 381 of the Fair Work Act actually states that the purpose of the unfair dismissal, unfair dismissal sorry, regime is a fair go all round. So that the interests of both the employer and the employee concerned are, are really balanced. Um, I quite enjoyed that that particular phrase was included in the act. It's, it's actually, a phrase that was used by Justice Sheldon in a 1971 New South Wales industrial arbitration case to describe the purpose of what was then the New South Wales unfair dismissal provisions at the time. So I thought I would throw that in there for our fun fact today. But importantly, and in saying that, not everybody has protection under the unfair dismissal provisions of the Fair Work Act. And there are certain eligibility criteria that must be met before someone can make an unfair dismissal application. So first and foremost, an employee has to be an employee of a national system, national system employer. So very generally, a national system employer is an Australian private enterprise. There are some exceptions to this, but I won't go into depth about those today. So if you're a national system employee, in order to make an application, you must have completed the minimum period of employment or what is often referred to as a qualifying period. The minimum period of employment is generally six months um, unless the employer engages less than 15 employees at the time of the dismissal. So if the employer engages less than 15 employees, the minimum employment period is actually 12 months. So that's doubled. 
So you're a national system employee and you've completed the minimum employment period. You must then earn less than the high income threshold, which is currently at $153,600, which is an increase from last year's threshold, which we discussed briefly in, in last week's episode, actually. So something else I should mention here is, is the high income threshold will not actually be relevant if a modern award or enterprise agreement applies to your employment. So in other words, you could be on a million dollars a year if you should be so lucky. And if a modern award or EA applies to your employment, you can still make an unfair dismissal application. It's not very likely that that particular scenario would occur as often more senior roles in a business will be considered award free, but I think that's maybe something for another episode of the Employment Law Podcast. Um, but that's how the law will operate. Even if you are earning over that high income threshold, if an award or EA applies to your employment, you still have access. So when assessing whether there is a risk that an employee will bring an unfair dismissal claim, these factors are what you should really think about first and foremost. Do they actually have access to make an application? But I should also mention that unfair dismissal isn't the only claim that an employee can bring uh, if their employment is ended or if an employer takes any sort of adverse action against them. So it's not necessarily a get out of jail free card if your um, employee doesn't meet these particular uh, criteria. And I think that is, <laughs> something else that we could discuss in a later episode as well, the other risks that may be involved. But in saying that, today we'll focus on, on unfair dismissal and we will now talk through the different, um, the different elements and discuss a little bit more around that um, qualifying period that I mentioned earlier. Thanks, Antonia. Sorry, um, I was, sorry to cut in over you, Ahana. I was going to say, yeah, it's probably also worth... Um, mentioning that unfair dismissal is, is, is just something which um, is for the benefit of, of full-time and part-time employees and casual employees if they have um, regular and systematic uh, employment with an expectation of, of, of ongoing work. So, so those casuals that um, just do kind of ad hoc, irregular, um, work um, aren't aren't protected by unfair dismissal, but but certainly um, casual employees are if they are doing um, you know re regular work for a business and there's you know a reason to um, suspect that they, that there is ongoing work going forward. So yeah, I just thought I'd uh, jump in with that as well. Thanks, Simon. That's definitely a good point um, to add. And I thought I would just talk a bit more about the minimum employment period or what's often referred to as a qualifying period and how that compares to a probationary period, which we often see under employment contracts. Um, but just to sort of reiterate, an employee can only bring an application for unfair dismissal if they've completed um, a minimum employment period of six months or in the case of a small business employer, 12 months. And there's two important considerations with this minimum employment period. When calculating um, 
the minimum employment period, it must be a period of continuous service. Um, so say for example, an employee commenced on the 1st of January, 2020, and they were dismissed on the 1st of July, 2020. In those circumstances, you'd want to think about whether the employee took any period of unpaid leave. Um, because if they did take any period of unpaid leave, it won't count towards the period of service. Um, it doesn't break the employee's continuous um, service, but it doesn't count towards the total length. So it might be that the employee will actually be less than six months. Um, so that's something to think about when calculating the minimum employment period. Um, the other thing to think about, which I find often a lot of employees are unaware of, is that the date is the date the notice was given. Um, so say, for example, you dismiss someone during their probationary period um, and you give them one week's notice, the six months will be from the date of the commencement to the date the notice was actually given, not the date they complete their employment. Um, so yeah, those are two things that I think um, are quite relevant to um, a minimum employment period or qualifying period. And I guess I also wanted to compare that to what a probationary period is under a contract of employment. I feel like a lot of people sort of think that they're one in the same thing, but they're not. Um, a probationary period is basically a period uh, where an employer and an employee can assess the employee's suitability to that um, to that position. So it's an opportunity for that employer to determine, you know, can they perform their duties to the required standard? Um, are they a good fit for the company? And in turn, it's a good opportunity for the employee to assess whether they like their role, um, whether they see a future within the company. And often what we see in employment contracts um, is a probationary clause, which usually is around six months. Um, and essentially it states that um, either party, the employer or employee, can terminate their employment within one week's notice by providing one week's notice. Um, and what I've seen, I think a lot of us have come across this, but what I see quite often is that employers think that if they just get rid of an employee during their probationary period, um, that there won't be any risk of an unfair dismissal case. When you do get rid of, um, you know, when you dismiss an employee during the six month period, um, then yes, that's correct. There won't be any risk of unfair dismissal. But a lot of the times employers even extend a probationary period. So say for example, um, you know, and this is quite a common clause, it will say something like, you know, you're under a probationary period of six months and the employer has a right to extend that to further assess your suitability. Um, if they say, for example, extend it for another 12, um, another six months, and then they decide at the end of the further six months um, that they don't want to um, keep the employee on, they then dismiss them. They don't realise that there's going to be a risk of unfair dismissal. Um, and they often fail to sort of follow the procedural steps that are required in order to sort of mitigate the risk of an unfair dismissal, just because they think, oh, it's still within the probationary um, period. So it's different to a minimum um, employment period under the Fair Work Act. It's a separate sort of concept that people often include in contracts of employment. And I thought I'd talk about a recent case um, that highlights, I guess, the difference between the two. Um, so essentially there was an employee, um, there was a clause in their contract which says they'd be um, subject to a six month probationary period. 
at the end of the six months, the employer um, thought that they weren't doing so well. So they had a meeting with the employee um, and advised them that, you know, they weren't requiring seven out of 10 of their um, duties or the KPIs. Um, so what they said is we're going to extend it for, for a further three months um, and we'll see what happens. But we may just, you know, we may dismiss you at that point. What obviously ended up happening is they extended for another three months. They still weren't happy with the employee's um, performance and they actually ended up extending it for a further period of time. So they extended the probationary period twice. Um, unfortunately for the employer, they got um, some inaccurate advice and the basically saying that, oh, because they're still in their probationary period, you can just, you know, you don't necessarily have to follow all the steps. You can just terminate the employment for one week's notice. Um, and the employee then brought an unfair dismissal case and the employer tried to argue, no, you don't have standing to bring this because um, you went under your probationary period. That's when it's important. That's, what, I guess, where the distinction kicks in is the employee was still under a probationary period but they had completed their period of minimum employment, um, which was six months. So they essentially had around 12 months of service, um, but they only needed to complete the minimum um, period of six months. And therefore they did have standing to bring an unfair dismissal claim. And she was actually successful um, with her claim because the employer didn't follow a procedurally fair process. Um, so I guess, yeah, let's talk about um, what are procedurally fair processes, unless you have anything else to add on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it is a, an area which confuses a lot of people. Um, I suppose the, the kind of, the, the way I, I look at it is um, you, you've either got a right to bring an unfair dismissal claim or, or not. You've either got enough service, length of service to bring an unfair dismissal case or, or you haven't. And if you've got a right to bring a unfair dismissal case it means your employer needs to follow the kind of steps we're going to talk about um, next um, and, and whether they're in a probationary period or not it, it doesn't affect how how the the courts of the fair work commission will, will look at the dismissal um, so in a sense you, you might say well what's the point of having a probationary period at all if it if it doesn't add any other any degree of protection for for the employer if the employee is still um, within uh, that that period um, you know the, the important thing is whether they have sufficient service to bring a claim but I, I think employers do find it useful to have probationary periods stated in in contracts at least for the reason that it kind of lets you have those those conversations with employees it builds in a, a an expectation that before you meet um, the end of that probationary period, you're going to have a conversation about whether the employee is, is suitable enough for ongoing, um, uh, ongoing employment. So I guess kind of psychologically and to, to get people thinking about, you know, is this person right for our business? It, it is a good idea to have a probationary period in, in the contract, but just make sure, I suppose, that you set your probationary periods to expire before the employee has has um, a right to bring an unfair dismissal claim. Um, I think it's like the, the practical tip, and and obviously you know the, the the point here 
um, as we shall see from from um, the steps that employers should follow to avoid unfair dismissals. But the the kind of the, the takeaway point is if if you don't think someone is a good fit for your business and you need to move them on, do it before they have got an unfair dismissal right. Do it before they have six months service or 12 months service in a, a small business, um, because otherwise you, you need to follow a much more onerous um, process to, to avoid those unfair dismissal claims. Um, but yeah, thanks, Ahana. That, that was really um, that was really insightful. So, so moving on, if if we've if we've established that an employee has got an unfair dismissal right because they have the requisite period of service, um, what what are the elements of the dismissal that makes it makes it fair? What does an employer have to do to to make sure that they can be confident that they will be able to um, defend any any claim or allegation that there's been an unfair dismissal. And I, I guess there's, there's two kind of concepts to, to get your head around when, when you're thinking about a fair dismissal. The first is that there's a requirement um, for there to be a valid reason for the dismissal. And then the second um, requirement is the dismissal can't be harsh, unjust, or unreasonable. And that those are, those are the kind of words used in the Fair Work Act. So the first thing is there needs to be a valid reason for dismissal. And what, what that means, um, or, or how I like to think about it, I suppose, is they need to have done the thing that you're kind of accusing them of. If you're dismissing them for misconduct, they need to have actually committed that misconduct. If you're dismissing them for poor performance, there need to actually have been some poor performance. So, you know, if they're, if they're getting dismissed for, for theft, then you need to be satisfied that they stole the, the, the thing. If you're dismissing them for, for being late, then it, it needs to be true that they were actually, um, uh, you know, coming to work late. And so, Often this is kind of the easiest bit to to establish, but um, you know, if if you are basing the dismissal on a on on a um, on an argument about poor performance, misconduct, whatever, that misconduct or poor performance needs to have actually truly happened, or you'll fall at the first hurdle. So that's that's about establishing a valid reason. The the second um, uh, requirement is the dismissal can't be harsh, unjust or unreasonable. Unreasonable. So you can have a valid reason for dismissal, but the dismissal can still be unfair. So for example, you know, if, um, if someone was late to work, uh, and, and there was no um, uh, debate that they were actually late, that that could be a valid reason for dismissal. But if you're dismissing them um, on the basis that that happened on one occasion, you have a valid reason, but it's it's likely to be harsh, unjust, or unreasonable because that's you know a a very harsh harsh penalty. So um, the harsh, unjust, or unreasonable test um, is is sort of set out in section three eight seven of the Fair Work Act, and it it lists a kind of set of criteria or set of requirements that the um, Fair Work Commission will um, 
consider um, in determining whether there's been a fair dismissal. And these factors are really about there being a, a fair procedure followed before a decision to um, dismiss is taken. So they're all about the requirement to have uh, a disciplinary um, process um, to give the employee, um, uh, as Antonia said, a, a fair go uh, before um, a final decision is, is, is taken. And over time um, and over kind of the case law in this area, it's kind of well, well established that the process that an employer should take to um, be able to show that there has been a fair process followed to show that um, the dismissal isn't harsh, unjust or unreasonable um, is, is a kind of set process which in essence um, involves a, a few things. First of all, there is uh, a requirement in all but the most kind of serious cases that an employee should have been given some prior warnings and some opportunities to improve. So if it's, if it's um, you know, a misconduct issue, um, were they given um, prior warnings saying, you know, that, that misconduct, um, that conduct isn't acceptable in our workplace, you're, you're, you're given um, notice that if that um, behaviour is repeated, then um, we're going to consider terminating your employment. If it's a poor performance um, issue, again, uh, the Fair Work Commission will expect to see um, the employee being counselled about their performance not being up to scratch and, and given a, a, an opportunity to improve. And there are some kind of, um, you know, fairly straightforward uh, documents an employer can put into place, sort of setting out a performance management process, you know, setting KPIs and clear targets for an employee to meet, which um, uh, they should be uh, given an, an opportunity to, to improve on before um, a decision uh, is made to dismiss them. And yeah, in, in all but the most serious cases, the Fair Work Commission will generally expect an employee to have been given at least you know one or two written warnings about their performance or about their conduct, um, telling them what the consequences of um, not improving their performance or um, conduct uh, will be. Um, the the other thing um, which uh, is required once once you've kind of got through um, those sort of initial um, stages of of dealing with with um, conduct or, or performance issues is there is a requirement um, that employees are invited to a disciplinary meeting, which, which usually involves giving them um, a few days notice, or I'd say at least 24 hours notice of, of the need to attend a meeting. Um, that invitation to the meeting should set out that the issues that are being discussed and that the employee is at risk of, of, of being terminated, having their employment terminated. And really the whole purpose of that um, meeting is sometimes referred to as a, as a show cause meeting. It's, it's to give the employee an opportunity to 
um, address the the allegations against them, be it conduct or poor performance. You know, say say what what they want to about those. Is there some mitigating circumstances um, which explains the behaviour? Do they deny that this behaviour happened at all? Um, and to give it the employee uh, a reason, um, uh, an ability to explain why they shouldn't be um, dismissed. And, and it's really important um, that employees are given that opportunity to address those allegations against them, even if an employer thinks it's completely um, uh, open and shut that this, this conduct um, occurred. It, it is, it is a requirement in, in the Act that employees are given this sort of fair hearing before a final decision is, is taken. Um, we would always recommend that in that sort of meeting, a decision isn't taken within the meeting itself, but employers um, uh, make a decision after the meeting. Um, to give them time to consider anything that is raised in, in that meeting. Um, there's also um, a requirement in the, um, in the Act, uh, well, it's regarding support people. So um, an unreasonable refusal to allow someone to have a support person in, in that disciplinary meeting. Um, um, points towards a, a finding of, of, of unfairness. It's not um, an unfettered, un, um, unlimited right for a, a, a person to have a support person in a disciplinary meeting, but an employer should only refuse um, the employee that, that right if there's a reason, a reasonable reason to do so. So that might be because the employee is asking for a support person who's not appropriate to have, to have in the meeting because they um, you know, they're, they're in the management chain or they're involved in, in the case in some way. Or it might be that they say my support person is only available, you know, in a few weeks time. And, and it's it's a serious matter which needs to be dealt with, um, uh, you know, quickly. So, so support people can be refused, but there needs to be a, a reason to do that. So, um, you know, it, it, in a nutshell, I suppose that that is... Um, that is the the procedure that one should follow um, um, in in a disciplinary um, um, process. The, the other things to think about um, to uh, avoid a finding that a dismissal was harsh, unjust, unreasonable, and this is um, something which I think a lot of employers don't think about, but it's well established. You you, you need to think about the employees. Um, personal circumstances, so what the effect on, on them will be if they are dismissed. Um, so that involves things like, you know, what will be the um, economic effect for them, um, you know, what, what will be um, their prospects of, of getting uh, another job and employees who are going to find it um, hard to get new work because they work in a really niche area or, or because there's some personal characteristic which means they are going to find it hard to get other work you know that that is a factor which should be taken into account and is a factor which counts against um, dis dismissing them 
And I suppose in in the current economic climate with with, with COVID, it it needs to I think it needs to be considered um, in all, in all cases how 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 readily are they going to find a new employment, and does that mean that an alternative to dismissal should be um, considered? I, I think it's it is important to always consider other alternatives. Would it be appropriate um, to give a you know a final written warning rather than dismissing the employee? Um, and and think about is is this is the uh, sanction of dismissal something which has been applied um, fairly across the business? Have you had other employees in a similar situation who've been dealt with um, less harshly? Um, is is another thing um, to consider. Um, I should just um, mention um, there is also what's called the Small Business Fair Dismissal Code, which applies to employers with less than 15 employees. And that is, is basically a kind of less onerous um, uh, disciplinary sort of process to follow. The code is, is a bit more relaxed in, in the um, criteria that needs to be followed, but it, it is basically you know, along the same lines of giving um, an employee a fair go, allowing them to um, have their say before a final decision is taken. And where there are um, issues of, of performance or misconduct in all but the most serious cases, um, they should always be given um, uh, an opportunity to improve before that um, decision to dismiss is uh, taken. Anything else uh, you think we should we should um, mention there or on um, the kind of the elements of, of a fair dismissal? Yeah, I think Simon, something else that the Fair Work Commission also takes into consideration. You said it's the employee's personal circumstances, but also the employer's circumstances. What's the size of the enterprise? If they're a small business, maybe you know then unlikely, although it's not an excuse, but they're unlikely to know the ins and outs of, you know, procedural fairness and what they need to do. Um, but if it's a large enterprise or if they have a HR department, that is going to be a key consideration. Um, and the Fair Work Commission is likely to hold that employer to a higher standard um, because they, there's no sort of reasonable excuse for them to sort of fail to follow a proper process where they have internal HR um, whose sole purpose, I guess, their role is to sort of deal with these sorts of situations. So I think that's another relevant consideration. Um, and I also thought I'd add, although I guess, like you mentioned, it's throughout the years with case law, there are well-established, I guess, steps that you should follow um, to ensure that it's procedurally fair. It, it will still be a case-by-case -case basis because you may be uh, dismissing someone for performance reasons, in which case you'd be wanting to follow a performance management plan, put that person on a PIP, um, which is a performance improvement plan, and sort of assess their suitability over a period of time. However, if it's a misconduct issue, then it's slightly different. You'd want to sort of investigate um, the issue, the misconduct, and speak to relevant witnesses, take statements, um, and make a finding um, based on sort of an objective assessment of the facts. So, um, yeah, it's still sort of case-by-case -case basis, but just you need to ensure that you follow procedural fairness, because like you mentioned, Simon, you may still have a valid reason, um, but if the process is, isn't followed, there still could be a finding of unfair dismissal. I think too what's in, what's important when it comes to a procedurally fair process too is it 
like you said, Ahana, it is thinking about it on a case-by-case -case basis and not necessarily following sort of an arbitrary process or policy that's in place. A lot of clients sort of may mention to us, oh, but we have a policy that it's three warnings and then you're you're gone sort of thing. And so it's, it's important to not rely on those sort of arbitrary rules that have sort of just sort of come into the, the discourse around dismissal um, and to not follow those rules necessarily because it could still mean that you've unfairly dismissed somebody. It is about following a procedurally fair process that's relevant to those particular circumstances and paying attention to those elements that are set out at, at section 387. Yeah, thanks Antonio, that's a good point. Um, I guess in saying that though, if there is a company policy, um, although you shouldn't just sort of follow it for the sake of it, um, in certain circumstances, you, an employer, if they fail to follow a company policy, that might also be a relevant consideration um, because it, it might be the case that, you know, the policy forms part of their contract. Um, and if it has all these detailed steps that an employer has to follow uh, and they don't, then they could get into trouble. So it's also, I guess this is a whole topic in itself, but um, policy writing for that reason is quite um, important as well to get the wording right. Um, but I guess if, yep, Simon. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think for that reason, um, if you have a disciplinary um, policy in place, which is a, a, a very good idea. Um, ideally, you want to, to draft it so that it gives the employer um, a wide degree of flexibility um, um, around how disciplinary proceedings are, are carried out. If, if you put in that policy, an employee will always be given three warnings or an employee um, will always be able to appeal a decision to a, a, a higher level of management yeah I, I think if you if if you set out those rules in stone and then uh you need to follow them or or, or face kind of unfair dismissal risks uh, i think it is important to kind of review your policies and make sure that they they do give you the the flexibility that you need to to deal with these things on a case-by-case -case basis yeah that's that's true thanks simon um well i guess maybe then maybe we should talk about, we've talked all about what the elements of unfair dismissal are, but what actually happens when an employee brings a claim and what's the process? Um, so an employee, once they've been dismissed, they have 21 days um, to file an application with the Fair Work Commission. Um, and that 21 days starts from the date that dismissal takes effect, which is usually their last day of employment. Um, once they file an application in the Fair Work Commission, it gets listed for and over the phone conciliation, which is essentially like a mediation. It's off the record, it's without prejudice, um, where the employer and the employee, they get an opportunity to try and settle the matter. Um, and I guess why a conciliation is important is because there's an independent third party called the conciliator. Uh, they sort of manage the whole process, uh, but it gives the parties an opportunity sort of to settle on their own terms, which is not necessarily something that they'll get if it goes to a hearing. Um, it can settle for things like the employee can ask for a termination to be recorded as a resignation. They can ask for a statement of service um, or, you know, of course, a monetary sum to settle the matter. But the parties have control over how um, 
it can settle and um, it's all done on an off the record basis. So um, in our experience, a lot of matters do settle at that stage, um, but that's just the first step. If it doesn't settle, um, the employee then has the option to take it to a hearing or an arbitration before the Fair Work Commission. Um, and I guess, Simon, do you want to talk a bit about the penalties um, or? Yeah, yeah, I can add that. to that process. Yeah, the one thing I was going to say was, um, as you say, it's it's a 21 day um, time limit to, to bring a claim. Um, and and there is discretion where um, there's an exceptional reason for for a delay for the Fair Work Commission to consider um, claims that are brought. Um, outside of that 21-day limit. And there's an interesting case I saw the um, other day um, where uh, a employee was given permission to bring a claim out of time. And uh, in that case, uh, the employee had been made redundant. And we, we, we did a podcast um, a couple of weeks ago where we talked about um, uh, the um, the process to follow when you're making an employee redundant to avoid an unfair dismissal claim, um, but yeah, the employee was made redundant. They 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 thought at the time that you know there, there didn't seem to be any any issues with that. But then, um, uh, sometime down the track, after the 21 day limit, after they 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 missed the opportunity to bring a unfair dismissal claim within that 21 days. They saw that the employer had um, re-advertised their role. So, you know, the key thing about a redundancy is 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 it's um, only available where the employer doesn't require a role to be performed by anyone. So, um, making someone redundant and then replacing them, you know, isn't isn't a redundancy. Um, so the employee noticed, you know, their role being re-advertised. Um, they made a claim to the Fair Work Commission from fair dismissal as soon as they um, noticed that claim. This was this was outside of the 21-day limit, but um, the uh, the Fair Work Commission said that was a that was a, an acceptable reason for bringing a claim out of time. Um, I thought that was uh, that was an interesting case because we do get lots of questions about you know I've made some redundant. How long um, do I have to wait before I can? Um, re-advertise the role and, and that kind of case says well um, you know uh, there is no kind of mag magic number you need to be um, uh, wary you know so sometimes it's thought we'll wait for 21 days and then an employee won't be able to bring a claim that 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 case knocks that um, kind of logic on on its head and, and it shows that it's open to an employee to bring a claim at a later date in those circumstances. So, um, yeah, that was something I was going to say on that. But, but yeah, moving on to penalties. Yeah, the the um, unfair dismissal. The, the maximum compensation is capped at um, the lesser of um, six months' pay or half of the high income um, threshold, which is is currently. Um, uh, $76,800. So that $76,800 is the maximum claim someone can be awarded in unfair dismissal. And that is, um, you know, that's obviously a, a significant amount of, of money. But, you know, for 
for some very um, high earning employees that 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 would be you know um, you know not not a huge amount of, of money at all and and it's it's sometimes questioned then well, why would someone who's earning you know hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars a year you know want to bring an unfair dismissal claim but the other point to remember is the Fair Work Commission can also order that an employee is reinstated in their role so it doesn't just have to be a, a monetary compensation they can um, order that an employer gives the employee um, their job back and if you kind of think about that perhaps uh, uh, in in scenarios where you've had someone in your business that has been dismissed you know the thinking about the the kind of the effect that having to put that person back in their role would have within the business it can be you know obviously sort of quite catastrophic culturally so um it is worth bearing in mind that 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 is a risk of of um um not following a, a proper procedure um uh in in an unfair dismissal matter it's not just the case that you can kind of throw money at, at the case and it will automatically go away they are always going to have that right to ask for reinstatement so i think that's um something to bear in mind as well okay so look we've we've probably got to um pretty much the end of our time today unless um anyone's got anything else they want to add it 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 was um uh a reasonably fast pace that we went through all, all of this um you know particularly the process that that you need to follow in a in a um, disciplinary procedure. We didn't really get into details about you know investigations of kind of misconduct, um, which is probably a a, um, a topic um, of itself. So we may well revisit that at some point. But um, hopefully um, there was something um, something in it for you. Obviously, um, if you are an employer who is is considering um, terminating someone's employment we, we would always advise that you get professional advice if if you're an employee who's unfortunately found yourself dismissed you know you may well want to seek advice as well everything we've talked about today is, is of course general in nature but if you do need um to chat these uh these issues through your particular circumstances with an employment lawyer we'd be delighted to hear from you we are at info at eilegal.com.au um, we have a website with a blog that you can subscribe to to hear um, about legal updates and, and this kind of stuff we'd love to hear from you about anything you'd, you'd like to hear in future podcasts um, so um, thanks Ahana and Antonia for um, for joining me today I uh, seem to work okay being remote yeah, thanks, Simon. I, th I think we worked it out. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in and listening to us. Thanks, everyone. Bye, everyone.